Hey, Forge family. God bless you this week. This is the third podcast in the series of Isaiah's Servant Songs. Last week we were looking together at Isaiah 42 verses 1 to 9, which is known as the first servant song. The servant of God was introduced by Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, and this Lord God is calling us to see, to behold, to look at the servant who is upheld by God, who causes Yahweh to delight in this servant, and who the Lord coated, filled, and empowered with the power of Holy Spirit. It just drips off him. He is the anointed one. Then, the servant in verse in, in Isaiah 42 is tasked to establish a just order. Hebrew word is mishpat, means justice. To discern what is right, true, and best, and then to do it. It produces a just order for all nations. How that servant, who is the Messiah of the Jews, will accomplish that, will be done with gentleness in an unthreatening, unaggressive manner. He will not be loud, privately, publicly, or internally. He is going to faithfully obey the Lord. The servant will not be discouraged until the completed task of producing a new covenant to Israel and to the nations is accomplished. And Yahweh guarantees the outcome. Because we too are servants of the Most High, we need to listen to these poems, these songs, recognizing the Lord wants his sons and daughters to be light to our families, to our friends, our towns, our jobs, our cities, and to our nations. That we too might be part of sweeping the lost into relationship with him. Let's pray. Holy One, you indeed have sent your Spirit to us. You lead us in obedience and empower us to be your servants. Now, Lord, open our eyes to see what you are about, both in Scripture about the servant and also in how you would have us pray and obey. Amen. Isaiah 49 starts this second servant song in Isaiah. The worldwide establishment that was such a focus in that first servant uh, song, you know, the establishment of a righteous standard, that's not even stressed in this, in this passage. That's done. The servant song now is part of the backbone of Isaiah's book of comfort to Israel. Chapters 40 to 66. And each song culminates in a powerful salvation message. So let's read Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 6. Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention to you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He, he named me, and he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me, and he has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. And he said to me, you're my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. But I said, 
I have toiled in vain. I've spent my strength and nothing and vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord and my reward with my God. And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be a servant to bring Jacob back to him in order that Israel might be gathered to him for I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. All right, Forge family. Here the servant begins to report to the nations of what Yahweh has sent him to do. See, God called the servant before he was born. Now, Hebrew has vivid images of birth and the process of giving birth. You know, it speaks of from my mother's body, you know, from the belly and from the bowels of my mother. All that pointing to the, the future promised birth of Messiah. There is not a mention anywhere in the Old Testament of the name of the father of Messiah. That's coming in the New Testament. Continuing in verse 1, it says, there's a divine selection of a name for this servant, which Yahweh keeps secret until the right moment. Now be reminded, Ford family, a name reflects the works, character, and reputation of that person. Let's take the name of Jesus, shall we? Okay, which in Hebrew is Yeshua, which means God saves or God is salvation. Okay, that, that is reflected in his works, his character, and his reputation. In verse 2, now we come to the preparation and presentation of the servant. Yahweh has made the mouth of the servant like a sharp sword. He's equipping the servant for warfare using the word of God as the weapon. Christopher North says that the sword of the servant is the mouthpiece of Yahweh. The word of the Lord is a formidable weapon. Unquote. The sword here is for battles that are close at hand, close proximity. See, next in the descriptions of Yahweh is, is that he's concealing, he's hiding the servant as part of the preparation. Okay, and in that, there's a, he prepares a continuous, continuously sharpened arrow. It's polished, it's prepared, it's perfect. <clears throat> and it's kept in the Lord's quiver, hidden in Hebrew. It's a word used of God's care and protection in Psalm 17, Psalm 27, Psalm 31, and Psalm 64. God's care and protection happens when he's hiding you or hiding something. Verse 3, the servant is personified as the perfected, completed, redeemed Israel. The servant is, is identified as, the, as true Israel so that Yahweh gets glorified. The servant is the one who displays the Lord's splendor and beauty. Thirteen times in Scripture and nine times in Isaiah, this display of God's glory is exposed. 
but it is never used of the nation of Israel or any prophet. It is only used of the servant. Isaiah 49, verse 4. The servant speaks of apparent failure. Hello? The servant, the Messiah, speaks of apparent failure. So this begins like a lament, a sigh, a despondent conclusion of a failure to restore Israel as God's people. The servant says he's toiled in vain and spent his strength for naught, for emptiness, for that which has no sense and no meaning. Now, let me tell you, if you stay in despondency, if you settle down there and you let it put its hooks into you, that will result in discouragement and depression. And Isaiah saw the servant, this Yahweh, the Yevez Yahweh, the servant of God, as a real human, having been tested like us, like we are. And and how he, he prepares himself to be the author and the perfecter of faith that can still say, my God reigns when nothing any longer makes sense. Alec Machir says, despondency arises from listening to ourselves and our self-assessment. <clears throat> That's called looking, you look inward. You know, you read your own mail and you go, oh, <clears throat> poop. Okay? Instead of looking at God, instead of living as his sons and daughters and recovering his purposes and his power, the Lord has an antidote for despondency. The Lord's antidote is to speak his word. Resting faith is the answer to despondency. Unquote. Here, the servant is foretelling his rejection by Israel. 700 years later, he's telling Isaiah that Israel is going to have nothing to do with him. But more to the point, before time began, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit laid out a plan of salvation in which the Son of God agreed to be the servant. He volunteered to be the servant, and he volunteered to be rejected. The servant knew he would seemingly fail. Now, now please just zoom out, okay? Step back from the text. Picture with me a slinky. Remember that toy? It's a spiral coil of wire that you sort of toss and flow from hand to hand. Or you set it up on the top of the stairs and you, and you tip it over and it walks. It jumps down stair after stair after stair. You know, that which is in motion stays in motion. Okay? Now our problem is we've pictured time as linear. And it, it is not. The dimension of time is spiral but it's moving forward intentionally, purposefully at the same time. Now back to the slinky. Picture God with a flexible slinky of time, all of time, spread out both tight coils and spread gapped coils, and God himself can interact with, he can penetrate, he can twist, he can accelerate, he can slow down time. Just like we could do 
for example, with a pencil piercing into the coils of a slinky, or when you sort of zoop, shoot it out at someone, okay? God surrounds time. He interacts with time. God possesses time. Dwayne Lindsay says, the fulfillment of this passage appears to be the progressive rejection of Christ by Israel, which culminated in his death on the cross. You see, in eternity past before time, God the Son knew the outcome. 2,000 years ago, when the man Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, walked the land, he had to discover that was what was laid before him. And when he did, he cried out to God and said, Oh God, have mercy. Oh God, is there another way? See, the point being, God knew and Jesus had to discover it as he walked. Just like the servant. You see the next word here? The next word is yet or surely the justice due the servant now comes up before the Lord. Okay, this is the word mishpat, the same word justice. But here in this context, different context, okay, here mishpat reflects the judicial ruling of God, of Yahweh, to be a favorable reward to the servant. The servant moves from apparent failure to voicing deep trust of God to confirm, to vindicate his efforts, and to produce ultimate success. Chapter, uh, in chapter 49, verse 5 says, Yahweh has formed the servant in the womb to restore Jacob. That's both the nations of Israel, which is in total rebellion, and the nation of Judah, which is in partial rebellion. Okay? Descended from the, the, the line of, of David in, in Judah. Okay, and and he is, God has called the servant from the womb to restore both of them back to God. The servant has, was formed for effectiveness, completion, and, and success. Now the servant says, my God is my strength. Verse 6, Yahweh answers the servant's discouragement with an even greater call, a larger task, with greater ministry and responsibility. God says it's, it is too small, it's too lightweight a thing to just recover Israel. Now the commission is extended to all nations, all islands, all coastlands, all the Goyim. Yahweh makes the servant a light and salvation to all the peoples. Let's read Isaiah 49, verses 7 to 13. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One, to the despised one, to the abhorred, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes shall now bow down, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a favorable time, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I've helped you. 
I will keep you and give you for a covenant to the people to restore the land, to make them inherit the desolate heritages, saying to those who are bound, go forth to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. Along the roads they will feed, and their pasture will be on the bare heights. They will not hunger or thirst, neither will the scorching heat or sun strike them down, for he who has compassion on them will lead them, and he will guide them to springs of water. I will make my mountains a road, and my highways will be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and lo, they will come from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinim. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. So here in verse 7, God speaks of himself as the Goel, the Redeemer in Israel. Remember in the book of Ruth, we studied the kinsman Redeemer, you know, the one who was, was customarily a near kinsman who helps and protects a distressed relative. Now Isaiah says God's intimate binding relationship with Israel is at work here, just like the Goel. God is also using the title Holy One of Israel. See, that's the one who judges Israel. So here, God identifies himself as one who redeems and one who judges. See, next Yahweh addresses his servant as the despised one. Whoa. See, not only does, does, the, does the servant experience that, God knows it. God knows it intimately, and he addresses the servant as the despised one. Now, the word despised here has two meanings, depending on how you, how you handle it. it. It could be someone who's despised of soul, which literally means you're unworthy of life. You know, you, you're, you're a walking dead man. Okay, or B, you, know, you could be despised from the soul. You heartily hated and loathed. Yahweh then turns and addresses the ashamed one. Excuse me, the abhorred one, not the ashamed one. <clears throat> Yahweh addresses the abhorred one. The Christ who was held in popular rejection, who was detested by the rulers and high priests of Israel. To them he was, gah! Get away from us. Crucify him. Okay? Next, God speaks of the servant of rulers. See, there are those who would view Messiah as disposable. Pilate was one. Jesus appears before Pilate, and he won't speak. He's silent. He's, he just keeps his mouth shut. And Pilate sort of gets hot and says, you won't speak with me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? Pilate didn't have a clue who he was, really. And as the servant is rejected, next come kings of nations who will rise from their thrones. See, a throne is a place of authority and power and judgment. These kings rise up to see, to welcome to engage with one who is supremely superior to them. 
He's supremely powerful and supremely gentle. Next, Isaiah records that princes will bow down. They will fall at the feet of the servant. They will do homage and they will worship him. So we see here in this, in this verse the spectrum that moves from rejection to recognition to honor and to worship. Now that all depends on the faithfulness of Yahweh who chose the servant and backs him completely. Verses 8 and 9, God is not done blessing Israel. He has plans for Israel that extend far into the millennia ahead. Even though Israel will, will reject the servant the first time, at the first advent. See, here God says, all right, servant, I'm going to help you, I'm going to keep you, and I'm going to give you the servant as a covenant to my people Israel. See, the servant that brings security, enjoyment, liberation, and transformation to Israel. All these things the servant is sent to accomplish to restore, to rescue Israel's inheritance beginning in the land of Canaan and to restore Israel's desolate places that have been crushed and burnt and wiped away following the captivity in Babylon. As verse 9 continues, the servant will command captured Israel and darkened Israel, come out! Be free. Close perspective, excuse me, prophetic and uh, fulfillment of this. In, in near time, the close prophetic fulfillment is with the Babylonian captivity. The far distant prophetic word deals with a new covenant between Yahweh and Israel in Christ. The servant is not the officiant, not the mediator, not the manager of that covenant. He is that covenant in himself. <clears throat> then the servant speaks of how Israel will be cared for after they come out. They'll be shepherded along the journey, pastured on, on the barren heights. Verse 10 says, Israel will not hunger, not thirst, not be struck down by the heat of the sun. This is the language of the Exodus people. This is what God did for his people already. He's going to do it again. And he's good at it. The servant leads his people in compassion. He guides them to springs of water. Verses 11 and 12. All Israel, in fact, all believers from all nations who bow the knee and bow the heart to Yahweh will be gathered from the corners of the earth. Now, mountains that seemingly are insurmountable to pilgrims are really referred to here in the text as my mountains. The servant is creator, and the mountains will do his bidding. They will become roads for the pilgrims. Highways will be raised up. Heads will be raised up. So pilgrims cannot go astray. From the north, from the west, even from Sinai, Okay, that word synod is, is an ancient translation of the word China. Now that's unconfirmed, nobody knows for sure, but from at least from that distance, no distance is impossible 
all obstacles of this pilgrim journey back home will be removed. Verse 13, all peoples are then summoned to sing, to lift their voices. Isaiah here uses the hymnic genre of the Psalms. This, he lays it out. Here's the cause for your singing and loose your praise. The hymns of, of Isaiah say, the heavens shout in joy. The, the earth rejoices. Yahweh is comfort, has comforted his people. See, this is in the perfect tense. This word comforted. So in the present, Yahweh, the unchanging God, is expressing his care now. And also, perfect tense includes the future. Surely, there is guaranteed that his care is going to be there, it's coming, and it will be in full bloom at that time. There is a global pilgrimage that's called for, this route toward home in Christ. All right, Forge family. Isaiah lays out what Yahweh, our covenant-keeping God, has done, is doing, and will do. We've been called as his servants as well, called to model our lives by faith after the Lord's servant, relying on the same spirit of power and gentleness. And when we get despondent, discouraged, blocked. Don't stay there. Turn to the Lord, the faithful one. Ask for his wisdom. Don't rely on your own. Ask for his power. Don't rely on your own. And that will place you in resting faith. See what the Lord God did with his servant. And we have the promise that we will do greater things than he. Let's pray. Comforting, faithful God, you show us in this servant's song that your faithfulness passes through the ages to us, to our families, to our longings, to what you have planned for each of us. Bring it on, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, Forge family. I love you. We'll see you soon. God bless.